Um, but I'm excited about the pastor who's going to share with us today. And so Pastor Larry Perry has over 40 years pastoring. 23 of those were in Tallahassee um, at Freedom Church. And uh, just recently was uh, took on a new role where he's overseeing Lord, probably over 100 or so churches in the West Florida area. He's serving them and providing leadership. Now he's pastoring pastors. And uh, 16, 16 years ago, I was working at Pepsi. Did y'all know I worked at Pepsi? <laughs> and I was going to school at night, uh, seminary classes, and uh, Pastor Larry came over and taught one of those classes, and I was kicking the tires on whether I was supposed to go into ministry or not. And I'll never forget what he shared. It was some kind of pastoral ministry course. And he said, you know, this is what ministry is about. At the end of the day, it's about helping people. If you can help people, God will bless what you're doing. And I've never forgotten that. And it's, I think it's served me really well. And uh, I'm thankful for you and your wife, Linda, who are both with us today. And so if you can, put your hands together for Pastor Larry Perry as he comes up. Thank you, Nathan. God bless you. What a joy to be here. Praise God. What a beautiful day. And you chose to be at Upper Room. Is that not good? I love your pastor. I love your pastor. Do I need to say that again? Huh? It didn't, it didn't take me long to be around him to realize, you know what? God's going to do something with him. And uh, it's just beautiful to watch that work. And uh, I've been in this uh, little office here since November, and it's a new world for me. Um, I'm used to pastoring, and now you pastor pastors, and I appreciate the heart of your pastor who's gentle and kind and just, it's just beautiful. And, uh, you know, I meet all kinds of people and sometimes they're afraid to uh, express appreciation for the pastor because he might get a big head. <laughs> let, me, let me just encourage you a little bit. The scripture makes it very clear that your job is to encourage his job is to manage his head. <laughs> Amen? So you do your encouragement and leave the management of his head to God. Don't, don't try to supersede what God needs to do through your voice. Because your voice is powerful in the heart of people's lives. Can I tell you that? I remember one time I was 16 years old and the guy, my dad's best friend was trying to quit smoking. And uh, he had smoked all his life, a big Navy guy, and now he's a police guy, and he's just a tough dude, you know? And he's talking to my dad at the coffee table, which is our living room table, and uh, he's just sitting there and saying, I don't know if I can do it. And I walked by at 16 years old and said, you can do it, Gene, and kept walking. Years later, when he's getting baptized in water, he attributes his quitting to smoking to a little 16-year-old boy that walked by and said, you could do it. Can I tell you, your words are powerful. Encourage one another in the Lord. So I'm here to encourage you today. Is that okay? 
all right? And if you came to hear Pastor Nathan, you can come back next Sunday because <laughs> he'll be on deck. But uh, he invited me today, and it's just a great honor to be at Upper Room Church. Uh, you know, when we came into office, just a week after I came into office, uh, Gulf Breeze Church there, the, they, they just shut it down. And I said, well, what are we going to do with this? And I called Brother Nathan, and, and God just knit our hearts together to accomplish something for God. And the, we kind of talked people into selling it to your church. Because God's into something. He's up to something. This is what they tell me. You should be aware of this, that the panhandle is going to grow 20% in the next 10 years. You know what that means? You're going to be sitting in a lot more traffic. <laughs> but the harvest is plentiful. And God's sending them to our doorstep. And we got to be ready to love them into the kingdom. Amen? So, so I'm excited about partnering with your church, with the network to plant churches across the beach area, all the way from Mexico Beach to Pensacola Beach. Because we have to be kingdom-minded, not just our own little backyard. God blesses kingdom-minded people. So I, I, I pastor, started pastoring in, uh, in Freedom. I, I started pastoring when I was 23 years old. Can you imagine that, having a pastor of 23? I'm just telling you. Whew, I don't know if I could sit under a pastor of 23 years old. But I was in a little community up in North Carolina. I stayed there 13 and a half years and just loved that community. There's something powerful about love. Matter of fact, I've been changed more by love than criticism. When I started school in kindergarten, I wrote my name upside down and backwards. I am a problem child. So my dad got, uh, we were at Eglin Air Force Base there, and uh, my dad got shipped to Vietnam, and we moved to Southern California, and California was a little more match, uh, advanced in their educational process, and I ended up in the meridional, you know, they'd come and get me every, every day, <laughs> put me in the special class to learn how to spell and learn how to read. Now we do that a little different. We know what I had, it was dyslexia. And it, 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 so every day, until I was about in the sixth grade, they always came every day and got the dumb kids. So my dad retired from the Air Force in uh, Travis Air Force Base and we moved. He had a choice to move either to West Virginia, his home place, or to Eglin Air Force Base that he had his best buddy there. So he chose Eglin. And uh, his best buddy's wife attended church. And she knocked on our door. Hey, why don't you come to church? I'm the superintendent today because someone knocked on our door and invited me to church. 
I say that to say there are people you know God has a plan for and they're waiting for an invitation. They're waiting for a bridge. They're waiting for a cup of coffee, a donut. It doesn't take much to love people into the kingdom of God. Amen? So here I am, a little kid, you know, I start going to this youth group, get filled with the Holy Spirit, called into ministry, only I don't tell anybody. Because I don't know what to do with it. Right? There's one thing that God did for me in that little church in Valparaiso, First Assembly of God. I fell in love with the presence of God. I just fell in love with the presence of God. Uh, I'd go home and uh, get in my little room. My mom and dad had this little cracker box house. And I'd get in my room and turn on what I considered worship back then, but it really wasn't worship. It was, I called gospel music. I'll call it gospel music, but it was, because the songs were all about the person, you know? Me, 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 I, I, I. But in that room, I started meditating on God and worshiping God, and he just showed up. And I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with his presence. There's something that happened inside of just falling in love with Jesus. I didn't listen to all kinds of music. I didn't do a lot of stuff. Because I was bashful and shy, I'd moved so many times, being in the military, I didn't know anybody, didn't know any, but I just fell in love with Jesus, his word, his, and Pastor Nathan said he was doing this growth thing to help you grow, and he started talking a little bit, and I just said, well, I'm going to talk to him about growing in the presence of God. So I'm on an assignment today to help you grow in the presence of God. Because I believe he's knocking. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. If you're knocking, he, he's ready to come in. Now, the problem is, I don't know that we're ready for him to come in. What do you mean by that, Larry? Well, we're too busy. We're just too busy. And if you're going to be something in his presence, it's because you've set aside time. Anybody ever watch that the movie, The War Room? And, and she had this little room where she'd go in and pray. I'm telling you, that's a beautiful movie and about prayer and the power of prayer. And there's something about seeking God for the sake of others. His presence. Lord, in the next few moments, I want you to just speak to me. Speak to us, your church, Lord. Draw us to a place. Draw us to hunger, to thirst for the tangible reality of your presence 
in our lives, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See, I'm reminded of Moses. He's standing on the mountain, and the people are doing terrible things, and God says, I'm going to kill them all, and <laughs> Moses intercedes for them. He says, I've got to take them to the promised land. He says, Lord, I'm about to give them. Don't take your presence from us. Because it's your presence that marks us as the people of God. Do you understand? So that, mean, that means the presence of God is me. But it's another thing for, to know the God's presence. It's another thing to be in his presence. Moses is on the mountain with God and he has this one prayer. God, let me see your face. Now think about that for a moment. Here's the man who witnessed the plagues. Here's the man who saw the burning bush. Here's the man who has witnessed the powerful hand of God. But that is not sufficient to the craving of his soul. His soul was to see God's face, to know him in a way that others don't know him, in a way that others don't have time to know him. And there Moses. when Moses comes off the mountain, his, the people of God say, can you cover your face because it's glowing? I'm going to tell you, when, when the church hibernates in the presence of God, the world knows it. I know this, when I hibernate in the presence of God, my wife knows it. I love her better. My kids know it, my grandkids know it. I love them better. You know, it's an amazing. There are a lot of people who claim to know God but can't love their neighbor. That's falsehood. We're called to love everybody. In Psalm 42, verse 1, it says this, As the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go to stand before him? Don't you just love that? Where can I go to stand before him? Well, you can do that in your closet. You can do that in your living room. You can do that in church. You can do that driving down the road, stuck in traffic. God is not constrained the way we are constrained. He will show up where there's a heart that's thirsty for him. In Mark 3, verse 14, there's an amazing verse there, and it, it always strikes me very interesting because it's when Jesus calls his disciples, listen to what it says, then he appointed 12 of them and called them to be apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach. The beautiful thing about that verse to me is this, he called them to accompany him. One translation puts it this way. They called, he called them to be with him. He called them to be with him before he sent them out. The first priority of the apostles was just to be with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a doer. I'm a servant. I want to find something to do. I don't like just sitting around. I just want to do. And God says to his apostles who were about to turn the world upside down, your first call, just be with me. Now that takes a little heart adjustment. Because you know there's so much to be done. It takes a little heart adjustment. I just need a little something. 
In Luke chapter 10, I'll just read this verse. We're going to go over a couple verses here today, and then we're going to make some summations, and then we're, we're just going to take a moment and just stand in his presence. I'm hoping God ignites something inside of me and us. Just a, like Moses. I mean, he's seen all this stuff. Man, I've seen so much. God do amazing things. But God, show me your face. Show me your face. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples continued to, on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. <laughs> but Martha was distracted by the dinner and was, she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord... It doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits while I do all the work? You know, sometimes we're guilty of just reading the scripture and not feeling the emotion of it. Let me just put the emotion in there from Martha's point of view. Lord! So did it bother you that I'm doing all the work and my sister's just sitting there? Can you feel that? Because I think that's what was really going on. And, and the Lord said unto her, well, first she says, tell her to come and help me. I'm sick of doing this all by myself. And the Lord said unto her, dear Martha, you are worried. I love the King James. It says, Martha, Martha. <laughs> You're worried about and upset over all kinds of details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it won't be taken from her. The one thing sitting at Jesus' feet. You see, Mary made a priority of the Word of God, the words coming out of Jesus' mouth. I'm going to tell you, God has some things he wants to tell you, and it's not going to be heard in the hustle and the bustle of living. It's going to be heard in that quiet place, in the stillness before him. Mary made a priority of Jesus. Martha, on the other hand, made a priority of the preparation of the meal. She was trying to, I can just imagine her just trying to listen in the background, but she's distracted by the biscuits. She's distracted by all the work that needed to be done. This word distract in the scripture, in, in the Greek it means this, to be distracted. <laughs> Preoccupied, not giving full attention to. Can you imagine? Jesus is in your house. And you're worried about the biscuits. Can you? I don't know about you, but two years, three years, four years, five years down the road, you're looking back and say, you know, Jesus was in my house and I was in the kitchen just making sure the pots and pans didn't have the spots on them. 
not Mary. I don't know about you, but God, give me the heart of Mary that's just willing to sit at your feet and not be distracted by all the stuff going on in the world, not all the distraction of all the... Martha, Martha. I've been Martha. Have you? I've been Martha. You see, this problem you have, Martha, is keeping you away from the best part. You are worried about the details that are secondary to Jesus. You are upset. You have allowed yourself to become upset about something that's not going to be taken away from Mary. Mary chose the better part. God help me. Give me a heart that chooses the best part. Amen? She chose to listen to the word. She chose to put a priority on Jesus. And it changed. Let's skip over to Matthew. Another a, a, a moment of worship that creates... Well, just let's read it. Meanwhile, Jesus was at Bethany, at the home of Simon, who had previously had leprosy. Do you understand leprosy with a death sentence? Leprosy separated you from everybody and everything you loved. You couldn't be around people with leprosy. And now he's having a dinner with all of his friends. Aren't you glad of Jesus' restoration? All right. Verse 7, while he, was, while he was eating, a woman came with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over Jesus' head. The disciples were indignant. They're mad. When they saw this, what a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She, she poured out this perfume on me and prepared my body for growth. I tell you the truth, whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Think about this for a moment. Here's a woman... And, and she comes and she pours expensive, probably a year's wage, wage worth of wages on the head of Jesus. And, 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 and an act of worship that others didn't understand. You know, I've watched people worship for a long time and sometimes I don't understand what they're doing. That looks weird to me. And some people do a good job dancing before the Lord. And my dance before the Lord is private. Because <laughs> this boy has a little rhythm, but not a whole lot. I leave that to others. But it is something you offer to God. Your life, your worship. And here she is offering something to God. Can I tell you, there are some people who will think your worship is worthless. I remember one time I, I, I was the stock manager at TGY, TGY department score back in the day. They're bankrupt now. 
and they offered me a management position and I had a choice either to work in their management program or, 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 or and I thought about it over the weekend on Sunday night, God said, no, that's not the direction I want you to do. I was coming in on Monday morning. I said, hey, listen, I'm not going to do that. And one of the young ladies standing there because she came from a Catholic background thought when I said I was going into the ministry meant that I was going to be single all my life. And she said, what a waste. Back then I had hair. And uh, some people will not understand. You see, offering yourself in worship to God. Some people are not going to understand what you're going to do and how you, you, but you don't have to answer to them. And here she is. This one thing could be accomplished with worship. And her worship, think about this, her worship had lasting spiritual significance. Can I tell you, our worship on Sunday has lasting spiritual significance. I love the fact that my children saw me worshiping God in church. Amen? My wife likes to hike, and uh, one time we're in, the, uh, in North Carolina just hiking on these trails, and I got my son on my back, and I'm singing this song, and I'm thinking, wow, I wonder if what people are going to think when they hear me singing worship out here in the woods, and they're coming by, and I've got this thing, and they're going to say my son and all this stuff. And at that moment, I just had this awareness that I was passing on something great to my son, a heritage of faith, a heritage of worship that wasn't confined to a building, but it was in my soul because I had spent time in his presence and his presence changed things that only he could change. His presence healed things only he could heal. Isn't he awesome? Worship will have a spiritual consequences in your life, in the lives of those around you, and into the future. So the real question is, how do you grow in the presence of God? The knowledge of his presence, number one, make the word a priority in your life. You've got to love the word. You've got to love what he has spoken. His word is powerful. His word is mighty. His word is our lifeline to eternity. And coupled with the Holy Spirit, it does a transformative work in your life that nothing else can do. That's why Paul says the Lord does, he does all things new. So this little dyslexia kid got called into ministry and went to Southeastern and tried to study. <laughs> First couple years were really difficult. God put me in this youth group. I was the youth pastor, student ministry kind of thing, and these kids just loved me. I couldn't understand. Nobody loved me like these kids. I couldn't do anything wrong. Just made me realize I had something worth giving. And then my, I met my wife at Southeastern. She was the smartest girl on campus. <laughs> Tell me I'm not smart. <laughs> and 
and my grades improved immensely. You know you found the right girl when your grades improve. All the parents said amen. Because I hung out in the library like never before. And I graduated. And God had used me in ways I couldn't imagine. This little kid that was marched out every day. Became the student government president. A few years after Passion, I got my master's degree in Gordon-Cottonwell in Christian leadership. And, and I can't believe they voted me to be the network superintendent. And I know this. If it wasn't for his presence that healed things inside of me, that changed thought processes inside of my head, his presence, just being in his love, did things inside of me that nobody knew really needed to be done. Changed me. Helped me confront my own attitudes. You know, when Isaiah saw the Lord, he said, woe is me. You will have moments like that in his presence because when his presence shows up, his holiness will show up and you will realize what you need his mercy. His grace. But he beckons you to come. And, and you have to put a priority on his word. You have to care less about what others are thinking and more about just being with him. Worshiping the Lord has to become a priority, not just public worship, but private worship. You know, I've been pastoring a long time, and sometimes people will walk in and say, you know, that worship was pretty flat today. And my question to them is, did you worship on Monday? Because if you're not worshiping on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, don't expect Sunday to be any different. You know, private worship means a whole lot because it declares something to your own heart, your own soul, your own spirit. It, it sets the priority about seeking first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added unto you. Amen? Yeah. We're good about public worship or what about just being alone with Jesus I'm talking about a alone in your private place focused on Jesus now one time I was talking about in church I was talking about being intimate with Jesus this this lady came up to me a mature lady that means she was old and she said I don't I don't understand that terminology and my heart just broke that she was robbed of the idea that you can crawl up into the lap of your heavenly father and experience a love this world does not even know. He's given us that privilege to just be in his presence, to be close to him and connected in ways you cannot fathom, but just to be with him. Well, if you're going to have that growing awareness of his presence, it's going to take some sacrifice of time, sacrifice of friends. You're going to have to get away from the distractions. Speaking of distractions. Hmm. 
You have to be obedient to him. You have to seek him. Not concerned about what he can do for you. Most of our prayer life is relegated to, God, I need, I need, I need, God, can you do? I need, I need, I need, I need. And God is not against your needs. There's something powerful when you come to God and say, God, I just want to know you. So I'm at Southeastern and I uh, have this friend, his name's Gary, and Gary is blind. He, at 17 years old, I think it was 17, was involved in an automobile accident and left him blind. So there he is at Southeastern trying to figure out the will of God and plan for God, can God use him, being blind. Well, he's needing someone to read for him. I said, wow, I'll read for him. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. So I read for him for a couple months. I'm just reading this stuff for him and, and it's classes I do have and classes I don't have, but I'm just reading for him every, every time I can. I'm reading for him and we, we just become good friends, Gary and I. You know, he lives down the hall and we're just doing that. And one day he says, hey, Larry, uh, can I see you? Uh, I'm not sure what he meant. You know, I'm, what do you, what do you mean, Gary? I just, I just want to touch your face. That's awkward. Sure, Gary. So there he does. He's just, gave new meaning to the scripture that says his face will I seek because I don't know what he looks like I don't know but I want to know you I want to know you Lord help me to know you the Psalm 105 search for the Lord and for his strength, seek him continually. And in another version, it says, seek the Lord and the strength he gives. Seek his presence continually. New King James puts it this way. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Which I've already mentioned, we're good at seeking his hand. But do you know him? Do you know him? Can I tell you something that God wants to show himself to you? He wants you to know him in ways your neighbor doesn't. Matthew chapter 11. It's, it's, it's the verse that has captivated me right now. Jesus said, Come to me. That is a standing invitation to everybody in this room. Jesus wants me. Listen, I've stood in line waiting for everybody to pick me on their team. 
I know what it is to be last. God says, come unto me. Do you know how awkward it is to be the last person picked? I remember one time I was in this spiritual meeting and all the, they had all the pastors come down. He said, this prophet was here and he had all the prophet, pastors come down and he had a word for him and a word for him and a word for him and a word for him. All the pastors, you got... <sighs> Left out. Jesus says to you, come unto me. Come unto me. He doesn't want anybody in this room left out of his kingdom. Left out of knowing him. Amen? All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Can I tell you, this is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus describes himself. Now, I've had a lot of people describe Jesus to me. He's going to get you. The hammer's going to come down on your life, you wretched little thing, yeah. I've heard all kinds of people attribute to God this, I mean, Jesus, this meanness and this ugliness. But listen how Jesus describes himself. This is what Jesus says about himself. I am humble and gentle. You know what it means? It's kind. He's merciful. He loves you. He loves me more than you could ever fathom or imagine. And this God, who is gentle and humble, says, come to me. Come to me. Stand with me. Psalm 42, 1, as the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst. I don't ever want to stop thirsting for God. I don't ever want to stop growing in his presence. I don't ever want to stop this hunger for him in my life. Matter of fact, the most dangerous place a Christian can be is not hungry for him. Do you know what it is to thirst for God? Do you know what it is to hunger for something from heaven? Do you know what it is just hanging out in the presence of Jesus? Would you just lift your hands right now? Would you just, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. God, would you just take away the distractions from my life? Teach me what it is to know you, Lord. Teach me what it is to be in your presence. Luke eleven ten. for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. We're knocking, Lord. We're knocking. I love you, Jesus.
slip your hands toward heaven. Would you just thank him for his presence right now?